I've simply titled my sermon this morning, Jesus is the Bread of Life. When you look at life in general, some things in life only work one way. And I'm, I'm going to use a funny illustration that you may have all at one point or another identified with. You know sometimes you sit, and, sit down in a car and the seatbelt doesn't work and you pull it over and click it and then it goes back and now it's stuck. And you know what I'm talking about? Your seatbelt doesn't work? Some are not in your heads. And then this, and then you start getting frustrated and saying words you shouldn't. And then you, you undo it and all the way back and you start over. Some things in life are like that. They retract, but they don't loosen up. And so things get tight. There's a lot of things in life that are that way. Once it's done, you can't undo them. You can't reverse it. You can't back up. Oh, we could have a myriad of illustrations. Uh, We've heard of forest fires lately, for instance, uh, bad forest fires, and they can't put them out, some of them anyway. And there have literally been forest fires in the past where a forest fire starts, takes a spark to start it, and then it turns into a big flaming inferno, and the next thing you know, they have water bombers and and a whole bunch of fire crews from outside who knows where, and they try to put this thing out, and eventually they have to let it burn itself out and... Can't stop it. Or maybe there's a water reservoir. There's this huge water reservoir, this dam, and it's getting weak and it's flooding. And, and, and once that thing breaks, there's no stopping it until it's all exhausted and the water's gone and now you can repair it again. You see, it works the other way too, but then it's not so certain. For instance, let's say you've had a hard life. You've worked hard in your life. You've worked long hours. You've, you've started low, minimum wage, long hours. And then finally you work your way up to a point of maybe comfort, maybe stability, maybe security. You do not want to go back. Nobody wants to go back to what they had, right? Mm-hmm. You want to keep it that way. So now you make a good wage. You have a good position. It's easygoing, kind of. It's quite secure. You don't want to lose that. When it gets easier, we want it that way. We don't want to go back to the other way. Maybe you're a kid. Maybe you're a child. Maybe you're a teenager. And you just were hoping for this day when you had at least some independence. Mom and dad would always hold you back. They'd pull you back. Can't do this. Can't do that. And then, Now, once you get 16, now once you get 18, you got your independence. You got your license. And now, finally, you got some independence. You don't ever want to go back. You know what I'm talking about. You've been there. I've been there. We've been there. We know what I'm talking about. We wanted to get better. We wanted to improve. We wanted to, to, to rise to the top. Well, I got news for you this morning. Circumstances don't always get better. Sometimes they get worse. Finances don't always get better. Sometimes they get worse. Health does not always get better. Sometimes it gets worse. Challenges don't always get easier. Sometimes they do get worse. And what they do to us depends on how we respond. It'll make or break us. It'll either bring us where we're headed, because we've got a bad attitude, or it'll, it'll, it'll lift us up and embolden and strengthen us because we've got a good, good attitude. But life doesn't always get better. You know, people sometimes say, like, I remember back, and I used to remember back when. Well, we can't live in the past if things were better then. What I can safely say this morning, but all of this together is, we all have this in common, you do want to succeed. You do want to have success. You do want to somehow improve your life. You do want it to get better. And there is a good way to live. I'm not saying easy, I'm just saying good. It's up to you to embrace it. And so Jesus is the bread of life. Now what does all that mean? What does that little capsule of truth mean? 
In the Gospel of John, we have a story in the Gospel, uh, the book of the chapter 6, where Jesus performs a great miracle. Uh, the other Gospels uh, tell the story too, but here's Jesus, and I won't read this first part, but Jesus has been teaching the crowds and, uh, by the seashore, and they are very interested in what he has to say. In fact, if you read the Gospel of, I think it's Mark or Luke, uh, Matthew, I'm not quite sure which one now, but anyway, so Jesus never intended to go there to teach, he intended to get by himself, and so the crowds find out where he is, they follow him, he's teaching them, and so on, and they want to hear what he has to say. So there by this desert place there, and in the course of the day, time, time moves on, and all of a sudden it's time, you know, to wrap things up. And so, well, it's far away from, from civilization, and they need food, and how are we gonna do this? And there's a lot, there's a huge crowd. And it's a desert place, and there's no grocery stores, no coffee shops, no Tim Hortons, McDonald's, or Pizza Huts, or Taco Bells. And so they have to find a way to feed this crowd, and Jesus already knows what he's gonna do. But the disciples don't know what he's going to do. And so Jesus says, well, you feed them. They said, well, how are we going to feed these people? And Jesus says, you feed them. Well, how can we do that? We don't have enough money. And can't buy food. And where can we buy food? And, well, they have one, one kid there. He's got a couple of loaves and a few fish. And Jesus takes that a little bit, and he multiplies it, and everybody gets fed. What is so amazing about the situation is that they are fascinated. The teaching was great, but this is awesome. So now what they want to do is they want to make him a king. Jesus realizes they want to turn him into a king. Well, he's not going to be a political, um, economic ruler, whatever. He's not going to be a politician. He's not going to be a king. So he goes off by himself. He disappears into the hills, into the mountains. And the disciples, they take the boat, the boat, the only boat they had there, and they take off. Night comes along, and then Jesus walks in the water, and that whole story is time for, it's for another sermon. But these, the crowd was mesmerized. The crowd was fascinated at what this Messiah had done. And they want to know, what, what, what else can we get out of him? And we want to pick up the story in John chapter 6, beginning verse 22. John chapter 6, beginning verse 22. And it reads like this. The next day, it's the, the feeding of the 5,000 has happened. Jesus walked on the water. It says, the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across Capernaum to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Let's pause there for a moment. Let's just remember, again, Jesus has done this big miracle. The crowd has been fed, and the disciples have taken off. Jesus is nowhere, and some boats arrive from Tiberias. And I don't think 5,000 men plus women and children all got into boats and sailed across. The crowd must have dissipated. A lot of details are left out, but what the situation is, some get into boats, and they go to the other side, and they find him. And they say, Rabbi, when did you get here? It's obvious they wanted to be with Jesus. He was so good to listen to, even better, he, he increased the food supply, and so things were really good. They're very fascinated with him. I want us to just ponder this for a moment. They were anticipating great things. But you see, folks, meeting Jesus is not always what people think it is. People have this idea that when they get to be with Jesus, he will love them and make things nice for them. He'll make them happy. He will just make it, oh, I can be with Jesus. It's so good. It's so nice. There is that emotional element too. But let me tell you, nobody who follows Jesus gets an easy ride. There will be temptation. There will be challenges. There will be decisions to make. Jesus never came to make people happy. He came to make them holy. I've said that many times. Jesus came to restore the lost relationship him with humanity. And sometimes life is just like that. You anticipate one thing, you get another. What you dream of, 
does not happen. So these people, they're anticipating something, and Jesus is not about to buy. And look at what he says in verse 26. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 26. It says this, Jesus replied, meaning to the crowd, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about the perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. He's very clear about his mission, why he came, what his purpose is. Let me just phrase it this way. Jesus did not come to introduce us to an earthly, physical, material standard of living where our need for him would not exist anymore. But that's exactly what most humanity wants. We want to come to a point in life where I don't need to go to him in prayer because my bank account's good enough. Where I need to pray to him for health because my health is good enough. I want my needs met. My, my, I want my physical life to be in a state where I can just relax and lay back and it's easy sailing. That's what most people have wanted this since time out to the beginning of time. We want to be independent. Jesus was right when he said, you want to be with me because I fed you economics, not because you understood the miraculous signs. There's a lot of people who want to be with Jesus because with Jesus things go better, right? No. But that's what's being peddled by this world and for many churches, sad to say. With Jesus, things don't always go better. They go better in the sense of peace and joy and relationship, but not in the sense that there's no more temptation, there's no more struggle, there's no more challenges. Let's go back to verse 27. Don't be so concerned about perishable things like food, economics, whatever you want to put in there. Spend your energy or your resource or your time. Spend whatever you have seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give. Wow. Who's not concerned about food? Who's not concerned about their paycheck? All of us are. There's a difference between making the here and now and the earthly physical life or life with Jesus our number one priority. Which is it? These people had no concept and no idea who Jesus really was. And that's often the problem. When it comes to Jesus, people often do not know who they're dealing with and what it's all about. You see, folks, this world has a lot of quitters. Anyone can talk a good game. It's where the rubber meets the road that the true character is revealed. When life gets tough and challenging and difficult, that's where it comes out. You see, our culture is a hotbed of people who just check out. Notice what happens next. These people, they're all in. They're all sold out. They want to be with Jesus. They're on the end team, so they say. Verse 28. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe the one he has sent. That's fairly simple, straightforward, right? In their blind ignorance and self-righteousness, the crowd eagerly wants to join in. Sound familiar? Oh, does it ever. I remember many years ago when Anna and I were young, we're still young, but when we were young, new in ministry, green in ministry, we were committed, we were, we were dedicated, we were in. And there's a lot of stuff that you don't know about me. I sometimes quit early on. I, I, I didn't do everything right. I made some bad blunders. But one thing Anna and I had together, we were sold out for Jesus in our own innocent, unaware, naive way. And I, I would say this about Anna and I, that if it hadn't been for so many prayers by so many people, I think we would have quit a long time ago. We would have quit right from the, from the get-go, perhaps. But one thing we did was observe people. 
And we, we saw many couples alongside us, also all sold out, all eager and just itching to go. Many of them had a good, had a good speech, a good talk, but many of them just along the way checked out. And one after another, many years ago now, so many of them are no longer even church-going people dedicated to the work of Christ, and you wonder, where are they? I'm not saying this to brag, because I, like I said, if it wasn't a prayer for others, I don't know if we could have stood. But young couples, young individuals, good intentions, lots of motivation, a lot of inspiration, a lot of feeling, but no discipline, no commitment, no loyalty when the going got rough. Lofty talk, nothing more than wisps of steam from a kettle. This crowd in Jesus' day, they were all in. What should we do? Jesus says, only this thing, believe the one who has sent me. And so, away it goes. These people, what should we do? Verse 29 again. He's, this is the work, only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Quite simple, right? Yes, simple, but not easy. Remember Jesus' teachings through the Gospels? He says, take up your cross and follow me. Whoever puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. All these warnings... Now, if you ask a modern-day church planter, a modern-day evangelist to go out and, and, and win the crowd for Christ, the message of the cross is not very popular. In a modern sense of the word, Jesus didn't do a very appealing job here. Let's face it. Dying by a cross, that's not fun. That's not easy. That's not appealing. It's simple, but it's very painful. Get nailed to a cross, you'll die for sure, but who wants that? It's not for the cowardly. It takes courage. The hardest thing a volunteer can ever do. Only the strongest can stand it. Jesus simply says, believe in the one he has sent. You see, folks, that's the very things we don't want. We like to be buddy-buddy with Jesus, be his friend, just not submit. After all, I want to be in charge of my own life. I want to earn my, my acceptance. I got something to prove here. Notice verse 30. It gets pretty dicey here. So they answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna when they were journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're comparing now. They're, they're, they're... I just have to stop here for a second. Who's in charge now? Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. Who's the boss? This is so heavy, so deep, so revealing. We could spend hours on this. But our time on Sunday mornings is usually short, but let's summarize this. In other words, if I'm going to serve you, you're going to have to prove that I, that I should serve you. You're going to have to prove yourself to me before I'll serve you. That's not what Jesus did for us. They want to dictate. They want to tell Jesus what to do. If you want us to serve you, to believe in you, show us a miracle. What do you do? But before we're too harsh on this crowd, let's look at ourselves. Do we not do the very same thing? Oh, I'll gladly serve in the church. I'll gladly serve in this committee, in this community, in this whatever. As soon as and when and if and, and, and when they roll out the red carpet, then I'll serve. When it's safe, when it's easy, when it's convenient, then I'll serve. Jesus comes back, verse 32, he comes back at him and says, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, my father did. Now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. These people didn't know their history very well. They knew a bit, but not very much. And so Jesus explains it to them. He said, it wasn't Moses who did that. That was me. My father did. And I'm, I'm with the one with the father. The crowd still not getting it. They respond and saying, verse 34, Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. They're still thinking economics. Money, wallets. 
bank accounts. You know how far apart these were, how far apart Jesus and these, this crowd were? They were infinitely apart. There was an eternity between these two. Oh, they were close physically in proximity, they were close, but mentally, different directions. They're thinking back to the day before. They're thinking back to the, to the good food and the good food, the fish and the bread they got for free. Human terms. Jesus thinking spiritual terms. Jesus lays it out for them, explains them what it truly is. Let's keep reading verse 35. So Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. Let's just stop for a moment, pause there. It's almost like if I was Jesus' advisor, his, his, uh, his counsel to, to give him advice on how to win the crowd over to get some people to follow him and say, stop, stop. You're making it too hard. You're making it too difficult. Don't confuse them. Don't, don't. But the funny thing is Jesus is not a people pleaser. Let's continue reading. Verse 37. However, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them for I've come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me not to do my own will. And this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of all those he's given me but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see His Son and believe in Him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. Jesus is in a nutshell very simply saying, I'm it. I'm the source of life. I'm the bread of life. And whoever puts their faith in me will have eternal life. But the crowd is not receptive. They're not able to to comprehend. They're not ready to listen. They still think in economics. And, and And I think we can paraphrase it this way. You see, Believing is easy when it's easy to believe. Let me repeat that. Believing is easy when it's easy to believe. But what about when it means sacrifice? What about when it means saying no to self? What about then? Well, guess what? The crowd's not very excited about this. Verse 41. The crowd began to murmur in disagreement because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say it came down from heaven? There you have it. There the true character shows up. That's it. That's the real character of the people. They don't like it. They start comparing him to his parents. This yesterday experience of bread is not so good anymore. They wanted to make him king last night, but not now. The miracle of the food is just not cutting it. Let's continue reading verse 43. But Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And the last day I will raise them up again. It's just getting worse. He's taking everything away from them. Your self-righteousness doesn't count. You have no merit. You have no credit. If God draws you, you can come to me. If he doesn't, you can't. Now what? You mean I can't? No, if God doesn't draw you, you can't. You can repent only because God draws you, because God is pulling you. None of us can do this ourselves. It's like being in a deep hole. Somebody pulls up. Well, I got out of the hole. It's cool. But who pulled you out? Yeah, you have to say yes to it. You can reject that. But unless God does the drawing, it won't happen. He really cuts into the ego of these people. They were God's elite, God's chosen. And he gives them some perspective. It's a sobering reminder of people who think, I got this under control. No, you don't. If God is calling you, you can come. He's not calling, you can't come. You have no promise he'll call if you reject him now. And the verse in Hebrew says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. We can say no to Jesus. But Jesus says, you're not in charge of nothing. Coming to the Father is something the Father will do in you if you respond to them. And Jesus doesn't stop there. It gets worse. 
It says in verse 45, is that it's written in the scriptures, they'll all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from comes to me. Not that anyone's ever seen the Father, only I who was sent, him, was sent from God have seen him. It's a complete, 100% total dependence on God. There again is much more than we can explain here, we don't have time for. But simply it's this if God doesn't do the drawing, He doesn't do the wooing us, we and ourselves can't. And Jesus goes on again and He says, Verse 4, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Good, there we have it. Anyone who believes. He's presenting it. It's his doing. He's drawing us. And if we say yes, we have eternal life. He says, verse 40, yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. It's it. There's no one else to go to, nothing else to use, nothing else to do. He alone is it. He's everything and everything. The question that comes down to when we think about this is, what are we feeding on? What are we nourishing our souls with? The crowds have been miraculously fed. That was just a small introduction. He wants to give them something far better. They're hoping for a repeat performance. Jesus, that's just a shadow. In verse 52, it says, Then the people began to argue with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. Things are changing fast. They're going downhill fast. They had not expected this. Glad we didn't make him king last night, huh? Have you ever noticed when a person asks a question, the question the person asks says a lot more about the person than the question they actually ask? They reveal themselves somehow. And the people's questions revealed they had no idea who they were even dealing with. They didn't understand the concept nor him. It has been jokingly said that it's better to let people think you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. These people actually believed Jesus meant his physical body. That's how far they were off the mark yet in terms of understanding the concept of salvation, the concept of redemption, eternal life. They didn't know. They're too full of other stuff, self-righteousness and hypocrisy. One thing to notice is that Jesus never worried about keeping followers. He didn't worry about being a people pleaser or a crowd pleaser. And if Jesus would have been a normal, uh, ordinary pastor or church planter or evangelist, he would have kind of toned it down by now, but he just ups the ante. Verse 53, so Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink, and anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven, and anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. So that's where he had gone. But anyway, what are they hearing Where in the Torah, where in the law was eating flesh, human flesh, ever permitted? They could eat flesh, only a certain types of flesh, not just any kind of flesh. And human flesh was completely off the table. No eating humans. No drinking human blood. What is Jesus doing? He's not scoring. He's not winning. He's not achieving anything. He did not mean his physical body, his physical blood that we would actually physically ingest it. But what he meant was, I will give my life, I will give my body, I will give my blood as the sacrifice for humanity, for sin, for all time. And you have to believe and trust in that for salvation to be true for you. 
He gave him a very simple lesson. He's the true bread. He is still the true bread. But not these guys. This is too much. They've heard enough. They've heard more than enough. And so it says in verse 60, Many of his disciples said, This is a very hard to understand. Who can accept it? Jesus was aware his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, Does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. There it's again. The very words I've spoken to you are spirit and life, but some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones did not believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, that is why I said that people cannot come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, verse 66, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Nope, it's not for me. That's the truth today the people start to buckle. The message was more than they could stomach and they could accept. A terrifying concept to, sit, to consider. When you turn away from Jesus, who are you going to turn to? When you turn away from Jesus, what are you going to turn to? There's no one else. There's nothing else. Repeatedly, Jesus talked about this. The apostles talked about it. There is no one else. But they didn't get it. They call to believe, but they don't. God drew them, God invited them, but they decided, no, it's not for me. You know, folks, that hasn't changed. That is still the reality today. People want to have Jesus, but their own customized version. It is said that when Henry Ford built the model, A or the model, T, you know which one, you could choose any color you liked as long as you chose black. That's all he had. It's the only kind of car he had, black cars. Salvation comes only one brand, Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen from the dead. That's it. There's no one else. Unless we're willing to walk that path, there's no hope. So what does Jesus do? Is he discouraged? Is he frustrated? Let's see, verse 67. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? He's kind of with a small group, now 5,000 the night before, 12 now. Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you're the Holy One of God. Then Jesus said, I chose the twelve of you, but one of you is a devil. He was speaking of Judas, Simon Iscariot, one of the twelve who would later betray him. We do not know how many left, but perhaps there was, maybe it was twelve more. We don't know, but a very small group. Was it easy for Jesus? I don't think so. I'm sure as a man, his heart ached for these people. We know when he walked up to Jerusalem when he, for the crucifixion, he was, he was weeping. He doesn't take it lightly. But most people rejected Jesus then, and most people reject him now because they do not want him as the bread of life. They want to feed on anything and everything, but not that. So let me ask you this question. I have it on the slides. What you feed on determines what you become. What you feed on determines what you become. You feed on culture and fleshly desires and carnal nature of this world, that's what you become. You feed on hypocrisy and self-righteousness, that's what you become. Or you feed on Jesus Christ, you become like Him. It's simply this. A worldly culture fed life, a worldly culture fed life is like a wooden rocking horse. It may look safe and pretty and comfortable, but it goes nowhere. I have this on the slide here. Is that your life? Just a little rocking horse. You got motion, you got movement, but you're going nowhere. What you're feeding on determines what you become. In just a wooden Christianity. No substance, no content, no direction, no life. 
because you're not feeding on the bread of life. But there are some who are real. They're like a horse. The next slide here. A life fed by the Holy Spirit is strong, alive, powerful, and accomplishes the mission for which it was put on this earth. Maybe that's you. You're going someplace. There's power, there's energy, there's life. Compare that with what Jesus offers and the life that the world offers. So, there's these two contrasting pictures. On the one, Holy Spirit-fed life is alive. It has, it has meaning, purpose, and there's substance there. World-fed life is dead. Looks pretty. Which horse are you going to ride on if you want to go someplace? There's no such thing as indecision. We all decide daily what we feed on, what we're going to become. You must and you do choose daily what you're becoming. And finally, Jesus is the bread of life that gives eternal life in all its fullness and all its glory. Only Jesus can give life and power, and he gives it to those who respond to his call to repent of their sins and believe in him and take up their cross and follow him. Practice that. Live that. Surrender to it. Embrace it. And walk with it. But my poor whatever. No, forget it. Jesus says crucify it. Maybe my this, my that, my other. No, get it, let go. Surrender. What will so-and-so say? It doesn't matter what so-and-so says. What will they do? It doesn't matter what they do. You follow Jesus and live of the bread of life. And you will never want to go back again. You will never want to go back to that early stage of frustration and despair. You will one day be glad you were not a quitter. You will one day be glad you took the jump, you took the leap. Is it going to be easy? No. But it's better than a wooden horse. It's a live, moving, powerful spirit being who will give you energy and strength to accomplish God's mission for you on this earth. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful this morning for your word to us. You are the bread of life. You identified with us in baptism. You identified with us in our temptations. You identified with us in our needs, and you offer yourself to our needs as the bread of life. Help us, Lord, to not let you down. May you give us courage and strength for the week, for the months ahead. When we will face challenges and and struggles, may we be strong. Because you identified with us, you want us to become one of yours. May we be faithful. In the name of Jesus, we pray.